Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1,500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details. The following is a presentation of A's Cast, your free 24-7 nonstop destination for A's baseball. Go to athletics.com slash A's Cast to download the app. Restrictions apply. Your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Watch the left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back. Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. Pete Alonso. He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Game three of the 1989 World Series, the Oakland Athletics against the San Francisco Giants. I'm Al Michaels. Welcome to game three. So the Oakland A's take, take. I'll tell you what, we're having a real. I don't know if we're on the air or not, and I'm not sure I care at the moment, but we are. Well, folks, that's the greatest open in the history of television, bar none. He's trying to sweep, but the Giants have certainly not made life easy for them tonight. It's a ground ball to the right side, speared by Phillips, flips to Eckersley. Yes, he's there in time, and the A's are the world champions. Beanie throws the 3-2 to Matt. That swung on, hit to center field, hit well. Pilar going back to the track, right to the wall. He'll watch, and the A's take a 1-0 lead. On a center field home run by Matt Chapman. Now here's the 0-1, and Matt drives one to left center field. Way back, and no doubt, and Chapman has his second home run this afternoon. Now here's Hendricks. Garneau wants it up, and the pitch is on the outside corner. Ring him up. Strike three call. Perfect pitch. And the A's get a split of the first segment of the Bay Bridge series. Here's Chris Townsend. What's happening, everybody? Yeah, we're back at it. It's like we just left like a couple hours ago after a three-hour and 50-minute game where the Athletics gave up, wait for it, eight runs in an inning. Unbelievable. Oh, um, against a very weak hitting Giants team. Yeah, by the way, it's the only time they've scored eight runs in an inning all year long. A rough one for the Athletics last night, but we'll get it going once again here at the Coliseum as we will finish the Bay Bridge series today. And the Athletics just need to get just need to get a win and get the split, and Brody Brazil will be able to keep his trophy, and the Athletics will keep their trophy. But yesterday losing 10-5 to and giving up an eighth spot in the eighth inning, 
I can't tell you how painful that was to watch that. Unbelievable. Dave Cavill is going to join us today here coming up at 1030 as we'll do another edition of The Build. But more importantly, we're going to be honoring one of the great teams in the history of baseball. And when you do a show like this, you know, people will say, well, you're an A's homer. This isn't being an A's homer. When you look at that 1989 team and you look at the names, and if you remember back, because for me, as I said last night on the broadcast, in 1989, and really when you look at the A's in the late 80s, this is when, for me, I'm in high school baseball. And when you're a young baseball player, it is those teams, the super teams, that you gravitate to because they have the best players. And that was the A's for me when I was in high school. The A's were rock stars. I can't say that enough. They were a super team. When you think about how big Jose, you know, as great as Ricky Henderson is, and now we look back and we look back at Ricky Henderson as one of the top players who have ever laced him up. As great as Ricky was, still, Jose was the rock star. Jose Canseco was 40-40. Jose Canseco was seen coming out of Madonna's condo. Jose Canseco was the guy at the All-Star Game in Chicago that Wrigley Field, people were, were holding up signs outside. You know, now you see the people out, you know, they put the bleachers on top of the buildings outside of Wrigley. Well, back then they didn't have that, and people would actually hang outside the windows to watch games, and they had a sign, hit it here, Jose. Jose Canseco was the man. Mark McGuire playing in the Olympics. Mark McGuire coming out of USC, setting the rookie record for most home runs. These guys were stars. They were a unique club. Yes, they only won one World Series, and it was in 1989, and, and Commander Cody had the out great Al Michaels cut about uh, the earthquake. But, the, but looking back just from, from, a, from a standpoint of baseball, this was an epic team. This is truly a team that could compete in any era. They had the pitching. They had the defense. They had power. They had speed. They had athleticism. They could do anything, and they could play with anybody in the history of the game. And we're going to honor that team today. And it was cool yesterday, Carney Lansford, Terry Steinbach. And I truly meant what I said to those guys yesterday – you know, we now have an A's Hall of Fame, and I think a lot of those guys, I mean, you think of how great Carney was, you think Terry Steinbach, what a terrific catcher he was, he was a MVP of the All-Star game. These guys are all going to go into this A's Hall of Fame at some point. And today, when they come on the field, we're going to get a lot of those guys here today. Unfortunately, my guy Jose Canseco is not going to be here, but for the most part, they're all going to be here. Got to get Dennis Eckersley. I've already told Commander Cody, Eckersley must come on the program today. The quote the great Dave Cavill, I'm on it. Been on it. You're on it. I'm on it. And you know, do you know why? 
Because it's because it's Eck. Eck is a phenomenal interview. Yeah, he's great. He's it's, the best. It's and it's he's a Hall of Famer. He can add we can add another Hall of Famer to the list of Hall of Famers on the show. Last time I had Eck on the program, was it top fifty A's? I can't remember what what he was here, and I got a chance to have him on. Was that when the Red Sox were in town? No, they no. He came. Was, was it when they did the? Can't remember. Was it was it last year or the year before? But just Eck as Eck is so genuine. You know, there's not too many guys. I mean, like he'll talk about giving up the home run to, to Kirk Gibson, right? And he'll talk about how miserable it was, and it's the reason why they won the World Series the next year because they were so committed to saying this is not going to happen again. We should have never lost to the Los Angeles Dodgers. That's how those guys felt in 88, and they weren't going to be denied in 1989. And most guys would not even want to address something like that to where Dennis Eckersley will talk about it. And that's just how legit he is and the greatness of Dennis Eckersley. You know, there's only two guys that really, in the history of the game, if we're, yeah, they played this game for 150 years, there's only two guys that have really done what Eck and John Smoltz have done in this game, being starters who are legit starters and then being legit closers. Now, they're a little bit different from the standpoint that Smoltz was a better starter and did it longer to where Eckersley was a legit closer longer than John Smoltz. But both guys got into the Hall of Fame because the versatility of being able to be a guy that takes the ball every five days and also being a guy that can come in and close it down because of nasty stuff. And Eck was on yesterday with Dallas Braden. He was also on with our guy Ray Fossey. Of course, Ray Fossey caught his no-hitter in Cleveland. Which, by the way, they play that highlight every single game. So they have this highlight package there in Cleveland because I got to see it when I was with the ball club against the Tribe. And every single game, they they play the same highlight package of Indians history. And there is our guy, the face of the franchise, Ray Fossey. He's a big deal in Cleveland, if you don't know. But, yeah, Ray when Eck finishes the no-hitter and Ray goes running out to him, that highlight gets played every single game before they start there in Cleveland. So we got to get we got to get Dennis Eckersley. And it's so unfortunate, it's it's sad that you know we've lost. You know, we're talking about Dave Henderson, you talk about Bob Welch, uh, Tony Phillips, we've lost guys from this team, and that's just a part of life. So that's why when, when, when you do days like this, you need to make sure you, you show the right respect and love for these great teams while we have these guys still with us. And I think one of the one, – if I have to think about Dave Cavill and Chris Giles and their tenure here with the A's – one thing that they have done, and they've done a great job with, is honoring this franchise history. And I remember years ago doing shows where we talked about, well, why don't they honor the history of this franchise? And, you know, it's under Lou Wolf. It is what it is. Why don't we honor the history more? 
I mean, we, we see with the tarps, if you're going to put these tarps up and you're going to show us when you won these world championships, why don't you honor the history more? And that's what this new regime has done. The fact that we've brought back 72, 73, 74, and we've brought these teams back. The fact that we're looking at the greatest players in franchise history and allowed the fans to vote on it. The fact that we're honoring what this franchise has done because it's one of the great franchises in American sports history. They've won nine championships, dating back to Philadelphia, five in Philly, four here. Well, you tell me how many franchises in the United States have nine championships. And let me tell you, the list is really small. Nobody in football has done it. In basketball, all you have is uh, Celtics and Lakers. I mean, when you really start to think about where the A's are when it comes to championships, truly one of the great sports franchises in the history of American sports when you come to championships. They've got nine. That's a lot. And, and it's great that we honor these championships because we should. And I'd rather honor the championship team and talk about the championship team than talk about what we saw last night because what we saw last night was absolutely brutal. You know, when, when, when you're vying for a, a postseason spot, and I know I was pretty harsh on the postgame show last night, uh, not much has changed for me as I woke up this morning losing to the Giants 10-5. to First of all, I can't stand the Giants. And the fact that you lose to the Giants with a bunch of Giants fans in the house when you had the lead, and you had the lead 4-2, to two, it bugs me. I can't help it. I'm going to be real. And I'm going to be real about the bullpen. The bullpen had been really good as of late. But blowing a game like this, it, it takes you back to the numbers. The bullpen is 21-21 and 21 with a 4.13 ERA and 23 blown saves. I think about the A's record of 74-54, and 54, 20 games over 500. What would the A's record be if the bullpen was just half as good as last year? Because I'll take you back to last year. The bullpen was 45 and 17. 45 and 17 with a 3.37 ERA and only 18 blown saves. Where would this team be if they were half as good? Would they have 80 plus wins? Could they have the best record in baseball if they were only half as good as last year? You actually had three pitchers come in last night and didn't get one out. One. Yesmero Petit, zero innings, but he gave up three earned runs. A.J. Puck, zero innings, and he is credited with a run. Lou Trevino, zero innings pitched, three runs. So between Yesmero, Puck, and Trevino, they gave up seven earned runs and didn't record one out. One out. And you're vying for a postseason bid. This can't happen. It's just a reality. It can't happen. You lucked out that Tampa lost to Baltimore. That's where you cross your fingers and you say, thank you, baseball gods. 
But when you're trying to make the postseason and your destiny is in your own hands, you can't have games like this. Now, when you play 162 games, obviously bad stuff is going to happen. And I always say the games at the start of the season mean just as much as the end of the season. But when you start to get to the end of the season, you need to be rounding into form. And last night, was that, that was not it. There were some good things that happened in the game, but the bottom line is a bad look. Where are my San Francisco Giants? So the Giants put their notes out early today, and <laughs> reading the Giants' notes, of course they haven't scored that many runs. And hold on, they're down there. Everybody, hold on one second. They were down just for me. How about this? It tells you all you need to know. The Giants' eight-run eighth inning last night marked the most runs they've scored in an inning all season. Of course, this lineup stinks. You can't be you you can't be giving this up whatsoever. Eight runs in the eighth inning. Three pitchers come in and didn't even give up an out. You need to feast off these teams. The Giants are sixty-four and sixty-five. They're looking to be had. you got to take care of business. And the A's didn't last night. And that's what you need to do. You need to take care of business against these teams that are to be had. We will talk about that. And also, I'm seeing him walking in now in the suit. Dave Cavill, the president. It's been a while since we've had Dave on. we got to figure out where are we with the ballpark. Dave Cavill is going to join us coming up right here on uh, A's Cast Live with Chris Townsend as we're getting ready for the A's and the Giants. Of course, first pitch is going to be at 107. But where are we with the ballpark? We're going to find out next. A's Cast Cast Live continues from Ricky Henderson Field. Here's Chris Townsend. You know, one of the great things that we do here on Ace Cast Live and on Ace Cast is we have the build. And the build is about how is a ballpark going to be built in Oakland? How is it going to open in 2023? And just coming to you every two weeks to give you an update on the progress of getting this done. Because as much as we care about what's happening today, and we care about winning baseball games today. The number one thing is about longevity and health for this organization, mm-hmm. which is a new ballpark. And that's why we bring on the president, Dave Cavill, to talk about this. And it's one of the fun things that we do every two weeks. It's great. I love it. It's great having me here. It's great to get the word out to our fans on where we are in the process and the ups and downs and making sure people have a sense of the momentum that we're building towards this new privately financed ballpark. And uh, it's just an exciting thing to do. You know, the you talk about ups and downs. You know what I, I really dig about what you guys do is you're not afraid. Mm-hmm. You know, certain people are afraid, mm-hmm. right? And they, they don't know oh, no bad news. Yeah. Don't. Yeah. You're not afraid of that. And the reality is in business, yeah. there's going to be ups and downs. Absolutely. That's just the way it goes. And I think in life there's ups and downs. People know that. And so I think it's better just to be – you know, uh, transparent and open about that and say, hey, you know, we had a good week. We got these things accomplished or, hey, we didn't have as good a week. You know, we have some challenges. We have some work to do. 
And all that thing that updates makes it more real for people to understand where we're going. Yeah, and, and, it, and it shows you just how tough it is to get anything built. But also, when you have those hurdles and you get over those hurdles, it makes the final product even oh, yeah. sweeter. because It's you're so rewarding. It <laughs> it's so rewarding, all the hard work. And obviously for our fans who just deserve a new ballpark with the modern amenities so we can have a higher payroll, retain our players, these are key guiding principles for us with building this new waterfront ballpark. And we want to do it in a way where we can make sure that our existing fans can afford to go. We're not going to have a crazy situation where we price people out. It has to be something that's inclusive for our community. So all those things together, you know, kind of throwing that together and balancing it out so we have a project that's a success. You know, I like how you say that, pricing people out, because I think that's something that we see in professional sports, especially when – you open up a new stadium, yep. a new arena, and all of a sudden you start talking about seat licensing. You start talking about the pricing for just the regular folks who are not corporate America. You, you, you price them out, and it's sad. Well, and I think it affects the experience at the venue. You know, these new ballparks or stadiums or arenas, they've kind of lost their soul. You know, you go there, and, like, no one's really cheering or really cares in the same way. They're just, you know, con conversing about whatever business topics – one reason I love going to the Coliseum is that it really has that energy to it and excitement, whether it's the bleachers or the third deck or just fans anywhere. And we want to make sure we bottle that up and make sure we have a product in a venue down at the waterfront that has that too. So you got to go to Tokyo this year. And yeah, you, and, for sure. And you got to see it. And I think Japanese baseball is amazing where they have the, the bands and they have a different song. Cheering section of the supporters. It's great. For yeah. every single player, they yeah. have a different song. And then we come back here, and recently you have, whether it's been the Astros broadcast or the Yankees broadcast, and they're complaining about our drums and our no and our noise. I'm like, they're missing the boat. Like, oh, how yeah. do they not? This is like. This is what it's all about. It's like That's college, why we have the games. It's yeah, like right. college football. It's like, wh wh how do they not understand this? Well, I mean, we have something unique here with the culture in terms of consuming the game and you know, celebrating that exciting experience. And we're just going to keep that. We're going to keep that obviously here and cherish it at the Coliseum, but also in the new building. And that can be uniquely Oakland in terms of what we're bringing to Major League Baseball. And I'm hopeful that other teams will adopt that because I think it creates a better experience for everyone at the game. Yeah, because you're participating in the game. I mean, for years, yeah. the I Believe in Stephen Vote, our, I know. our buddy's incredible. Yes, exactly. Sean yeah. Doolittle and everybody doing his uh, uh -huh. elbow pointing. It's it's it, it's or the Bernie, you know, the whole thing. Yeah. Like all these different things that people participate in. It's fun, you know. It creates that connection. Baseball's supposed to be fun. It doesn't have to be so serious, right? And so I think it's just important to not only celebrate those things, but cherish them and make sure that they stay. I following you on Twitter the mm -hmm. other day. I saw you talking about all the different unions who Absolutely. are behind you. Absolutely, talk about that. Yeah, you know we have unprecedented union support with both projects. You know the waterfront ballpark as well as the redevelopment here of the Coliseum site. 135 unions. The Alameda Labor Council has endorsed the project. That's over 135,000 workers in Alameda County. And these are everyone from, you know, concession workers to the SEIU, which handles administration, um, to the Teamsters, like all these great unions, IATSE, who do or the stagehands, all supporting this effort. Some of them are existing unions we work with. Some are just people who want to see Oakland, you know, properly um, kind of like push forward to the next level and making sure that like these new developments are done responsibly with union labor, both in terms of construction as well as operations. And so we're very proud of that. That's an important you know, kind of guiding principle to have union labor 
um, building the ballpark and actually operating the ballpark in its facility, and that's going to be an important aspect to our success. I don't know if you know the answer to this, but helping Oakland get better, how much does that affect all of Alameda County? This is kind of the the capital of Alameda County, of really the entire East Bay, of, you know, two and a half million people kind of across the county, Alameda County. You know, Oakland, it sits at the center of that. It's commercial hub. It's entertainment hub. And so it's, you know, whether or not it's thriving or not matters, and it matters to all these other areas. And I think people are taking notice of that. You know, regionally, it brings people into this area that maybe would normally wouldn't be there or maybe would be spending dollars in San Francisco or on the peninsula. So you have to understand we're competing for tourist dollars, for regional dollars, and if we can get that those dollars spent here, there's going to be more jobs closer to where people are living. It just makes a lot more sense. And that's where I think the unions get it right. They understand Absolutely. that 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 you like what we saw last night, where you saw over 50, 53,000 people here. It's incredible, right? If we could get that, I, I mean, obviously it's not going to be that big at the new ballpark, but to get that for eighty-one home dates, how big that would be That'd for be the tremendous. city of Oakland? Yeah, exactly. In, both in terms of the jobs and just also the you know, excitement that that brings and what it means for the small businesses around the ballpark. You know, that's the thing we don't have here at the Coliseum. You don't really have businesses right next door because you just have, you know, a parking lot. So in the urban location of downtown, more like AT&T Park or the Shark Tank in San Jose, you can have bars and restaurants and other small businesses that actually thrive because you're bringing millions of people to that location. They come early, they go out to dinner, they stay late afterwards, they may be like, you know, think about moving there or maybe even if they're a business owner they move their company there those are all really big benefits that a ballpark can bring to a region at this location do you see that being possible it's just more challenging because you know the downtown locations because you already have hundreds of thousands of people living and working there you have like a kernel to build off here this area doesn't have as much of that and so um, we're trying to make sure that whatever is done here is done responsibly in response to what the local community wants and making sure that this isn't just something that's a regional draw, but it also helps what's, you know, the neighborhood around it um, wants and actually kind of deserves. And so that's why we think that's important. Yeah, and I think about preserving this field, and the thing that I, I, I love about it is, yeah, you think of all the great baseball players. We had Steve yeah. Vucinich on. Ah, so good. We so had him good. yesterday. Yes. You know, Mickey Mantle's last year was the A's first year here. That's amazing. Mickey yeah. Mantle play. I mean, you think of all the great players, and not only that, think of all the great football players. Oh, a- absolutely, and even the day on the green, you know, the concerts yeah. that were here. So preserving this field, building an urban youth academy around it, so actually – kids in these communities can have a safe place to learn baseball and probably soccer too because we probably do a soccer academy could be an incredible investment in the community that we would be making and a great reason to keep this field and kind of carry it forward for another generation yeah if someday i can sit here and watch like high schools play here be cool how special would that be be amazing you know think about they would know the history that occurred here and then they could build on that and then people could connect in a real way. And that's that's what we're trying to accomplish with, with that plan. So on this show, we had Vita Blue and Blue Moon Odom, you know, guys who won three championships. And when I told them mm-hmm. that you're going to preserve this field, yeah, to watch these men in their 70s, to see what that meant to them, and the guys that we're going to honor today, the 1989 team, one of the greatest teams who have ever played, there's just something special for them to know that because – for all these years, mm-hmm. no matter how many championships, they tear places down. I know. They blow them up. You know how it goes. You see it on TV. Yeah. yeah. And the fact that we're going to keep that for these guys. I mean, for the fans, it's one thing. For these guys who, who did it on this field means so much. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a special part of it. And I think 
being able to carry that tradition forward is important for communities because it creates like a, a the next generation that connects them to the past and actually the new memories that are created here will be amazing you know that's going to be a fun part and i'm you know think about nine championships i was talking about this before you came on you know there's not many franchises in the history of sports that have won nine championships there's no one that's done it in football right like you know i think basketball you got the celtics and the lakers right. that's it right I, you know i mean so the fact that we have nine championships what was it about when you came on board where you said you know what we haven't honored our history the right way we're now going to do that well i think it's critically important as we really stake our claim here in the bay area and across the sports landscape to celebrate our history because i think a lot of people don't know and so we need to we should be proud of the fact that we've won nine world championships, that we've had some of the greatest players of all time, Ricky Henderson, Raleigh Fingers, Dennis Eckersley. They've played here. Our history in Philadelphia, like we, we built Shy Park Tavern to really harken back to that and educate people. That's a big reason why the Oakland A's, or just the A's in general, are really a critical part of the sports landscape. And so we want to do everything we can to celebrate that, to make you know our current fans you know aware of it, and to carry it forward in a positive way. It helps our players in the clubhouse, understanding you know what it means to you know don the actual uniform and the expectation it brings of more championships in the future yeah because you know as i get older and we start working with younger people yeah. you start to realize you they know, don't know they, don't they know. were born in the 80s they yeah. were born in the 90s mm-hmm. and you're like you don't remember how dominant 1989 was oh I that mean, team what a team rock stars they yeah. were rock stars well they, they were the biggest um, athletes in the world you know, now when people watch, like, and they see Messi or Ronaldo or LeBron James, you know, the players on that 89 team really were that level in terms of, like, you know, human interest stories, you know, all the different aspects to it, the personalities, what it did. I mean, the whole country knew. It was a national or international story. And so I think what we need to do is really celebrate that chapter of our history and also chart a new course in the future where, you know, the players that we have now, whether it's Matt Chapman or Matt Olson or Sean and I or whoever it ends up being, Loriano can really elevate themselves in that same way because that's exciting. That's what it means to be an Oakland A, you know, and so I think we want to do everything we can to, to push that forward. Yeah, people may forget Jose Canseco was a big deal. Remember, he's coming out of Madonna's condo. Oh, yeah, that's a big thing. I mean, he was yeah. a big – I mean, he was you, – you, when you think – now, we talk about how we don't market baseball players enough. Mm-hmm. Jose Canseco back in the day was as big as any football player. Oh, yeah, and that, you know, the thing is, in the late 80s, you know, that was in, in some ways before the NFL had really risen Yeah, um, to in some ways surpass baseball in terms of its popularity in the country. So baseball was like kind of at its high watermark. And so to have the championship team in three World Series in a row, you know, playing these incredible teams like the Dodgers or, you know, obviously the Giants, that was a big deal. It was a big deal for not only our community, but for baseball in general and for the entire country. And so... That's why I think this team and celebrating the 89 team today is a great thing to do, and I'm really proud to have everyone here to, to really carry that forward. You know, I don't know how we fix it, and it really bothers me because of when I grew up watching baseball, and, you know, I was in high school at that time when the A's were, were at their power. And you remember 88, it's the, the A's up against the Dodgers. The Yankees, when I was growing up and you were growing up, yeah. they didn't make the playoffs. No, no, that was the Mattingly era. They really struggled. They Only one time did he play in the playoffs. I know, and they just weren't dominant. You know, they were dominant in the 70s, and then obviously when Jeter came in the 90s, but there was a large period of time, as you know. Yeah. That's right when I grew up, too. 
They weren't the dominant force. That Red Sox? Did. No. No chance, yeah. And then the game flipped, and for some reason now, and as much as I love the MLB Network, it's my favorite channel. I yep. watch it every day. Yep. I'm a baseball dork. I admit it. But it's like the NFL and even the NBA. I mean, the NBA even made Oklahoma City a big deal. And that's it's one true. of the smallest markets. How do we get back to not just being a regional sport, getting back to being a national sport? I mean, I think it comes down to the players. You know, I think the players are, you know, the personalities and the characters in the narrative of baseball. And, you know, baseball has always been connected to kind of American history and where we are as a country. And so I think we just need to, you know, basically lift them up and make sure that people know who they are, their personalities, who they are. Because if we do that, I think people will take notice and they will lean in and they'll get excited about it. And I think some of the things like the participatory numbers, the kids playing baseball now, the numbers are going up. You know, it's been surpassing soccer, the growth over the last, you know, three to five years. That's a good sign. And more people are getting back into it. So I think we're, like, poised maybe for a little bit of a renaissance in that way if we play our cards right, if we manage things, market things properly. And that could be something that we do in Oakland, you know, in a real way. You know, I'm not shocked. And Cody, my producer, had the numbers yesterday about how youth football is way down. Not shocked by that. Got a lot of buddies who won't let their sons play, so I understand. Youth soccer is down. Yeah. You've been in soccer, professional soccer, for a long time. Are you shocked by that? Well, I think it, it's all about money. You know, these youth sports now, if you have kids who play, it's a, it's a pay-to-play model. And I think at some point it just reaches the breaking point. Like how many times are, you know, if you're growing up in Dublin, California, are going to fly to, like, the East Coast for your, you know, traveling soccer team or whatever. And so it's just – it becomes difficult for people to do it. So I think at some level they just check out. And so I think baseball has an opportunity. And we do this a little bit with our – play ball initiative where we just go into communities and say we just want to play baseball we want to play for fun you know when I used to play as a kid we just picked up we just played in the local park it wasn't so structured and then that was the joy that was in the game and I think we need more of that in sport and I think baseball could be part of that in a positive way you mean when you were growing up in Cleveland you you, you didn't there get, was no travel team dude. you didn't get yeah. in the family roadster and go to Cincinnati and play no, in a tournament no no we just <laughs> went down we just went down the street to Neyland Park and you know yeah. played a little ball we played like, in the yeah. street we did. We did that, too. We had a lot of stickball going. We played on an old abandoned tennis court, you know. We always lost the baseballs in the trees, you know, how it goes. So. Yeah, you'd break windows, and yeah. you'd have to go retrieve the ball in the neighbor's yard. I remember. I remember. Yeah, we didn't yeah. drive, like, two, three hours to go play no. a travel ball my, tournament. Yeah, my parents had no time to drive me anywhere. It's <laughs> like, so you got to go figure it out on your own, Dave. So, so that was the way it was. And I think hopefully there can be more of that because I think people, you know, kids like that environment, you know, when it's not overly – coached and stressed out and so I think that what you're seeing in soccer is maybe a reaction against that and we have to be careful in baseball there's a lot of that too so like you know it's not immune to that same situation yeah when, when, when everybody's playing in the street there's the community feel True. and and that's something that uh we are definitely lacking let's get to the ballpark yeah so, we got so, some big votes coming up so what do we got going on yeah with so Lund? we have two um kind of basically the state legislation you know AB 1191 which is our trust exchange and SB 293, which is our tax increment financing, both those bills over the next two weeks are going to be basically voted on on the floor of the California Assembly. So that is a critical step to get those done by the time the session is over by mid-September so they can go onto the governor's desk and be signed and turned into law. That is a huge accomplishment. It's a big deal to get these bills through the legislature. There's a lot of, like, you know, trials and tribulations and places where it can go astray or get pushed off another year. And so we're feeling good about where we are. You know, we don't want to 
you know, declare victory yet because we still have a little bit of work to do. We're going to have a hearing probably on the 12th or 13th of September um, in Assembly Natural Resources, but that should be the last hearing, and then there will be a floor vote, and hopefully then it will just go to the um, governor for signature. So this is getting, as Jim Harbaugh yeah. once said, this is getting real, real, real fast. Oh, it is. You know, we're, we're uh, you know, to carry on with the football analogy, you know, we're in the red zone here on these two <laughs> bills. So we're going we're gonna to score, you're going to score a touchdown and go for two. And uh, I think it'll be really an important accomplishment. It helps the momentum on the project. And then it kicks forward kind of the next period where the next bigger approval is really the key one, which is city council early next year. So then we get through all this, these state approvals. We're done with that and we can fo focus on getting the city council on that. That's going to be a big lift, too. We'll need the entire community, all our fans, the business community, um, everyone involved to make that happen, to get the five votes on the city council um, to certify the environmental report and the whole project. Yeah, once you get the state approval, I mean, the city kind of has to go hand in hand, right? Well, I mean, it, it, it. I think it matters. Like, we've deliberately tried to build this, like, as a momentum play where we've started – we did one state bill last year, then we got the port, then we got the county, now we have two more state bills, and then we go city. And so then it's like everyone has weighed in on this and said, hey, this is a great project. This brings so many benefits. The A's have tailored the project to make sure they're responding to any criticisms, making sure the transportation plan works, the seaport compatibility works, that all the key concern points or maybe even pain points are addressed in a real way. And that's what we've been doing, you know, day in, day out with our team of consultants and in-house staff to make that work, working hand-in-hand hand with the city and all the uh, stakeholders. And so that's been a process. It's been one that's, like I said, has had ups and downs in terms of getting us to where we need to go. But we feel that we're gaining on it every day to get to a project that's a win for everyone. You know, over the years I got a chance to interview Gavin Newsom. And yeah. I, and Gavin being a Bay Area guy. Played baseball ball, guy. Played ball at Santa Clara. Yeah. Uh, how much does that help that you got a baseball guy who's the governor? Can't hurt. Right? Yeah, or, or I had the lieutenant governor, Eleni, out last night. She threw out the first pitch. And, you know, she grew up in Sacramento when, you know, uh, we had affiliation there. And she saw the A's and all the great players come through. So I think I think people understand the impact, especially of a privately financed stadium. You know, we're, we're moving forward, you know, making this huge hundreds of millions of dollars investment and what that can mean for Oakland, and especially with the other teams leaving. I think the politicians know the importance. This is a very consequential moment, not just for the A's, but for the entire East Bay. And I still think – that there's people that don't get it, and it's not till the first night of the NBA season yeah. when the Warriors open up the Chase Center true. that people are really going to real wow, 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 they're gone. I know. They're gone. They're not playing here again. It's never happening. Yeah, I mean, we, we did some surveying in the community, and there were still a substantial amount of people, 20 or 30%, who didn't know that the Warriors were leaving. So How I crazy think, is that? Well, I mean, remember, a lot of people don't even go to the games. You yeah. know, it's like we're really in the sports. We live it day in, day out. Other people are just trying to make, make ends meet. Yeah. And so, you know, those realizations kind of hit you when, like you said, when the team is gone and when it's like, oh, my cousin who was working at the arena doesn't have that job anymore or whatever it ends up being. Those are going to be important points, and I think it will showcase the importance and what a team, a baseball team or a sporting team brings to a community the community events we do, going to the hospitals, taking our players, and having our players be role models for community members to understand, hey, this is something to, to aspire to. That's important, too. Don't, don't underestimate that. And when you think about 41 home dates plus the preseason, then you take what you have with football, yeah. and there's the preseason. That's 10 home dates, and we're not counting postseason. 
I think that's the thing for me that's really sad because, you know, working here for all these years and and being over at the arena and being over here yeah. and getting to know everybody, there's there's a lot of people who are going to be missing that paycheck. And I don't think people really understand how much that's going to hurt people who have been working here for really a lot of them their, their entire lives. Well, and that's where we can step in and, you know, try to fill the breach and make sure that we're – you know, employing as many of those people as we can and making sure that they have a livelihood, at least with the ACE. You know, we can't provide, you know, the dates that they did, but it's still really important for us to have that local hire, to have those union employees, to make sure that the impact of our games is substantial and gross. So September, we got, we had some, we got some, we big got stuff two going big on. votes in yeah. September. So that's going to be really big time. And then the, the next thing after that is really the draft environmental report comes out in the fall. And so that'll be a big thing. That'll be a public document. That's like, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages on everything from the transportation plan to the greenhouse gas impacts to air quality, you know, all the different aspects of the project. And there'll be a lot of public meetings and outreach around that as well. So I look forward to, you know, filling everyone in on that part of the process and keeping people engaged on what is really uh, a pretty exciting project for the Oakland A's. You know, one thing we like to joke about is, well, if you, if you got something you want, just just go on Twitter and, and go to Dave Cavill. That's and you're, right. I'll tweet right back. We're on it. We're on it. Whatever it takes. <laughs> <laughs> We're on. Why does that mean so much to you to be that transparent, to be able to say, hey, listen, I, I respect what you have to say, and my staff's going to work on it? I mean, I think the reality is, is I'm a fan at heart. You know, I've grown up as a fan in terms of that connection to the experience and the team and and I think all people really want, or at least when I was in that role, is I want to make sure that my voice was heard. Like, you, you know that not everything maybe you ask for can be accomplished, but if your voice is heard and you're, you're a key stakeholder and, you know, contributor to where the organization is going, that breeds a sense of, you know, basically ownership that's really, really important. And so it's something that I like. It's kind of my style. We did it in San Jose, too, and uh, we're going to keep doing it here. Yeah, well, no, you're doing a hell of a job. And you know what the fun part is? The team's winning. It's amazing. What a team. This is such a fun team. This has been a great homestand. You know, this is a real consequential game here today. We're going for that trophy. Uh, so it's it's going to be really fun to have everyone out. We've had huge crowds, too, which is great. You know, 53,000 last night and opening Mount Davis. And it was just great. It was an electric atmosphere, which I love. How much does it help you with everything you're doing with a team that's winning versus if the team wasn't winning? It matters. It matters. I mean, it, it, it raises the profile and the awareness of everything that we're doing, of the stadium effort, of the importance of this team and what it means to the Oakland community. So all those things matter. And, you know, I've been unbelievably um, proud of how the team has played this year, the last couple of years. David and Billy have put together an incredible team. Bob Melvin, the way he handles the young players. And then the players themselves, you know, have really excelled. And a lot of young players have really stepped up. And even this year when we've had injuries, folks have stepped up and, and the team is just playing at a very, very high level. So it's fun to watch, and uh, every day at the ballpark is just a great day. You have a special announcement today. Can we talk about that, or do we need to wait? I don't know. Is this live? This is live. Well, we ha I'm going to have to wait. I can't, I can't let the cat out of the bag yet. But how cool is it going to be? It's going to be cool. You know, we're uh, – that's also responding to what we've heard from fans, from the community, from – you know, uh, alumni players to make sure that we honor our history and our heritage. And uh, it's a great way to do it. So stay tuned. It's going to be exciting. Just stay tuned before the game. Going to be very – you know, I had Carney Lansford on yesterday with, yeah. with Terry Steinbach. So good, those and, guys. And I told him, I said, you know what? As we go forward with this Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. we really have a lot of players who deserve it. And it will be – 
because it's fun. Some Hall of Fames, like you hear, that guy's getting in. It's kind of a stretch. Well, yeah, because they don't have that many guys. <laughs> like, like, we don't have that issue, right? No, yeah. like we have. Are we are we going to do the Philadelphia guys too? Absolutely. There's so many players yeah. that we have. I think, I think next year, and I've heard this from a lot of fans, like you know, like the Connie Max of the world. You know, yeah. we have to have some of them in. I mean. Obviously, you look at even game. I saw Bochi up there where he was at like whatever four thousand games managed, and then you have Connie Mack up there like eight thousand or something like that. It's like it's never going to be reached. Like the guy, you know, obviously he managed for like sixty years. It's incredible, and so um, we have a lot of great history both here in Oakland and then also obviously uh, in Philadelphia. We want to celebrate all of it. Like if we bring back like the great great grandson of Lefty Grove, hey, whatever it takes, right? Yeah, or you know Jimmy Fox or whatever it ends up being, or. You know, there's just a lot of great connections we can build there and tell those stories of those players and what they meant to those communities. I think people will really appreciate that. No doubt about it. It's going to be a fun day. We're honoring one of the greatest teams to have ever played the build. This is so cool. Every two weeks, I love it. This we're going to so hook up. Fun. Next time we talk, we'll have big news. We will have big news. Well, yes, we always have big news. That's how we roll. That's yeah. how Things we roll. Things are happening. Things are happening. When are we getting an Emmy for this? I don't know. I think we maybe have already earned it. <laughs> it might be in the mail. It might be in the mail. We're breaking new ground. That's what I love about this. This is like, this is the A's. It's innovation. It's trying new things. And it's like being at the forefront. That, that's what we do. And we're the and what we're doing now with A's cast, we're number one in Major League Baseball. I'm telling you, Tony. I don't know what you're doing. Just keep doing it. <laughs> we're just going to keep building. <laughs> keep doing it. As I like to tell the staff, we're building a bully. Yes. We <laughs> that way. Keep it going. <laughs> well, great stuff. Enjoy today. It's going to be very special. It will. Thanks for having me, guys. All right. We got more coming up right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. It's an absolute beautiful day here in Oakland, California. We got the Athletics 74 and 54 up against the San Francisco Giants 64 and 65. It's the end of the Bay Bridge series for the Athletics and the Giants. Brett Anderson against Logan Webb. And you know, back in the day, it seemed that my opinion mattered when we started talking about Hall of Fame and who should be in, who should not. And now Commander Cody basically says your opinion doesn't matter because he says it matters what the Hall of Famer Ken Korak feels about the Hall of Fame. It's we like, have him well-trained, don't we? I've just been swept to the side yeah, because mean, you're the guy. Yeah, you know, one of the best hires the A's ever made was bringing the commander in here. So I'm all for whatever he says I go with, Chris. And I'm hearing, You have to respect the man. I'm hearing there could be in future – there could be the captain and the commander podcast coming up. <laughs> we just like had a half second conversation about like, maybe we'll do a podcast. So then he sends it out to the whole world. He freaks out Matt Pearl. <laughs> like, oh my God, these guys are doing a podcast, you know? So the captain, uh, the captain and possible. the commander. The captain and the commander. Yeah, I the love it. The captain and the commander. So you never know. Look for, look for that. Chris. Is it daily, weekly, bi-weekly? What, what, what could we expect from this? We could never usurp your energy. Because like, you're on every day, all day, That's all every night. every day. Right? Yeah. So even attempting to do something similar to that would be very difficult. How much fun are you having with this season? It's been a lot of fun. It's been great. And, you know, Chris, I don't think we should ever take for granted when the team that we cover is in the race. Now, if the A's make the postseason, it would be 10 times in the last 20 seasons for the A's in the postseason, which to me is a remarkable record. 
Uh, most of the teams in baseball would envy that. Yes. So we, what we would never, never should take for granted what it's like to have a team in the race because it's miserable in September when your team is playing out the string. Uh, there's no energy in the ballpark. You know, we're all tired. September rolls around, and, you, you know, we've been, we've been doing this for a long time. But what I've always said is the energy builds. You don't even think about that kind of stuff when you come to the ballpark because there's this natural energy that just kind of kind of moves things along uh, when you get to the last month of the season. It's one of the real joys about being around this team, and we both know Billy Bean well, is the fact that Billy doesn't want to lose. Yeah. And you have all these executives now who, whether it's extending their life of their contract but they're okay with, hey, let's let's shut it down for a couple of years and rebuild. Billy Bean won't do that, and David Force the same thing. I think that's something that we as A's fans really need to appreciate is that they're always trying to win. There may be a couple down years, but you're never down that long. Especially if you look at the American League this year, Chris, where three teams are going to lose 100 games. Two more are going to be maybe 94-95. Uh, I don't know if tanking is the right word. That may not be fair, but but your point is well taken because the A's have never done that. They've always tried to win. Now they've had seasons that weren't that great, but they've always tried to put a good team on the field, and uh, they've done a great job with that, and this year is a, an excellent example of it. You know, I, I'm hoping we're going to get him today, and I'm trying to get the nickname going, Duct Tape, for Mark Canna because, you know, when something breaks, you just get duct tape and fix it, right? That's right, yeah. That's who he is for Maybe this Maybe for Players Weekend next year, they could, you could kind of uh, persuade him to put that on his uh, on the uniform. I'm if we can, maybe we can actually see the uniforms next year. <laughs> maybe by next year, they'll actually wear uniforms <laughs> that you can read, which would be kind of a novel concept for this weekend. <laughs> you know, yesterday. You know? Ye- yesterday I mean, come on. <laughs> yesterday, I was watching uh, MLB Network, and they showed Josh Donaldson, our buddy, JD, you could not see anything in Atlanta. No. He, he just looked like this vanilla ice cream at third base. You couldn't tell anything. It's the Procol Harum weekend. It's the whiter shade of pale uh, is what's going on out there. So, you know, and I listen, I know I'm the old curmudgeonly guy, but if the A's are playing the Giants, I'd like to see the A's wear their uniforms and the Giants wear theirs because that's what people come to the ballpark and they identify with the uniform, not a contrived kind of marketing idea um and i i think players weekend is a great idea so wear the nicknames on the back do whatever you want with the shoes you know put whatever you want down there because i'm on board with the fact that there is a lot of thought that goes into some of the ideas like the poignancy of matt chapman and we've talked about that with his his friend nick hurtado who had passed away from down in fullerton and wearing his name hurtado's name on his back and matt drove in a run Got a double, and now Nick Hurtado's name is on a uniform that drove in a run in a major league game. So all those things, I think, are great ideas. But you know, I, I think most of us would prefer that the A's wore their uniforms this weekend and the Giants wore those. Well, I mean, at least, like, the outline of these white uniforms, like the athletics or the number in the back, I mean, at least outline the name <laughs> and the number with, like, just green. You could still have right, yeah. the white but just have some so we could see it. That would be a, a nice idea. Yeah, like if it was the Braves, you outline it in, in that navy blue. If it's the Rangers or the Angels, it's in a red, just so you can actually see the names. Like you mentioned Hurtado. <laughs> Isn't that the whole idea behind You can't numbers? see it. Right. <laughs> right? No, I know. 
No, I know. But anyway, we'll move on from that. No, it's like Oregon football. Some broadcasters, they've, they've put some uniforms out there that the actual broadcasters can't see the numbers and the spotters can't see the numbers. So it's tough to cut. You did football for years. You know, if you can't see the numbers, it's tough to call a football game. Well, I think I've told this story, you know, four or five times, but literally the first football game I ever did for San Jose State was in the fall of 1985. And I'd gotten hired, I was hired by KCBS, right? This is a pretty big deal. You yeah. know, I'm coming from Petaluma down to San Francisco to work for KCBS, and they, they carried San Jose State football. The first game was in Berkeley. Now, I'd never worked in, like, a real press box before. I'd always worked in these little stadiums where you were maybe 12 rows up. And now the Spartans come out. I don't remember exactly, but I think they were wearing gold uniforms with gold numbers. I couldn't see a thing. <laughs> like, it's my first game. It's my first Division One football game, my, yeah. first, my first three hours on the air with a new job. And they take the field. I had no idea who was playing. That's not so good. That's not. I was like, I mean, you talk about panic setting in. That was real panic right there. Yeah, getting back to Mark Canna, it, it, it's a. You and I have watched baseball a long time. It's one of the more unique seasons for a player that I've ever seen. And when you talk about versatility, and Chris Davis goes out, he DHs. Stephen Piscotty goes out, he plays right. But the fact that he's now at center field, we talked to Marcus Simeon yesterday here on Ace Cast Live, and Simeon wasn't surprised, going, hey, he's a really good athlete. We didn't know this, though, right? That he could play center field. Like, like yeah. this is the premier. You got Coco up there. Coco was an unbelievable athlete. To play center field in the big leagues, yeah. you think of anybody from King Griffey Jr. to Willie Mays, you know, guys like Steve Finley, I mean, guy, you know, Jim Edmonds. You talk about these guys who are just unbelievable athletes. You would never put Mark Cannon in that category. He's not embarrassed himself. He's sneaky good. He's been pretty good. Sneaky good. Duct tape. If he had played the whole year, you'd be talking about him as an MVP candidate because he was a, the fourth outfielder. He was playing a little bit against lefties, played some first base when Olsen was hurt, but he wasn't part of the regular rotation when the season Started, he's been sensational, Chris. He's been as valuable to the A's over the last two months as any player has been in the American League to their team. Uh, and I think it's doubly kind of cool that he's a local kid, as Marcus is, of course, and they have the Cal connection together. But And he's also someone that he plays a little bit of an edge. And I think you need that to be successful. And the other thing, he grinds every at-bat. The A's have had some really critical ninth-inning situations trying to come back when they've been trailing. He, he, he works a clutch walk. You know, it doesn't sound like that big a deal, but there are times this year when, because he has the great strikes on command, Chris, he can get on base when you need somebody to get on base. You mentioned the edge. We saw it last night, the big bat flip, and then kind of looked in their dugout. Right. You know, on these teams, if you're going to be good – you got to have a couple guys, and I mentioned Josh Donaldson. He was a guy like that. Josh Reddick could be a guy like that. I think of, like, our, our, our past team. Obviously, Giambi had the bravado of ten men, right? But you right. Got, you, you got to have some of that. you got to have, you got to have a little edge to you. have to have to some you. fire. Laureano plays with fire. I think they really miss him, not so much for that, because they have other guys. They, you know, they, they really compete as a team. They miss Laureano. If they can get oh. him back in September – at some point for the stretch drive, uh, that would really be big for them. But 
You're right. I mean, look at Reggie when he played. <laughs> you know, I mean, everybody knew that Reggie had a big ego, but he backed it up. Yeah. There, there are guys that 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 want. There are guys that want to put the team on their back, and Reggie was one of those guys. And Mark is not afraid of the big moment and the spotlight and the chance to shine in the big moment. Some people shy away from that. Uh, the A's have players that don't do that. Reggie Jackson shows up in New York, and he's asked, are you coming to New York to be a star? And he says, no, I'm bringing my star to New York. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> the straw that stirs the drink. Oh, God, what a, what a yeah. beauty. And uh, Ricky played with a flair, right? There's, oh, there's nothing yeah. wrong with that, right? And today we're honoring the 1989 team. And, you know, I said yesterday in one of my hits with you guys during the broadcast, you know, why this team means something to me is, you know, when you're a high school baseball player, you gravitate to the best. And they were the best when I was in high school. And I, 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 we now look at Ricky as one of the greatest players of all time. But I loved Jose Canseco. Yeah, yeah. No one was bigger than Jose Canseco. And I actually talked about this just before you got on with Dave Cavill, that Jose Canseco was a star. He was an absolute He was star. larger than life. He was like a star as we look at football players now as a star. He was right. bigger. I don't know. You know, you had Montana who was here. You had Jerry Rice who was here. But I wouldn't say they were bigger than Jose Canseco back in the day. Jose Canseco was a star. He was. I mean, he was larger than life. Uh, when I was working in A-ball in 1984, he was playing in Modesto. He's just a kid. And so I go back a pretty long ways watching him play. He did. He had that quality about him, that charisma. Uh, plus, he was this big, good-looking guy who ran. He stole a lot of bases. He had home runs, and people gravitated. He's one of those guys that, that, that uh, he would put people in the seats. You know, they talk about the players that you don't go to the concession stand when that player is coming up. You didn't go get in line for a hot dog when Canseco was coming to the plate. Yeah, you got McGuire. You got Ricky. Hopefully, we're going to get Eck today and – Hopefully coming up here, we're going to get guys from the uh, 1989 team. I just I just love the fact the way Dave Cavill and Chris Giles have come in here and are really respecting the history. Mm-hmm. We went over it, and you know, as you're, you're a historian, there's not many franchises in the history of professional sports who've won at least nine titles. Yeah, for sure. We should celebrate all these guys. Yeah, this team that and to go three years in a row is something pretty special. The A's have had these eras, 70s. The, the, of course, they won three straight, 72. This club went to the World Series uh, three years in a row. Tony La Russa here today is going to come on the radio with us in the third inning, I think. Oh, great. So, you know, that's a pretty cool thing as well. I think he was the right guy to manage this team. Well, Carney and Terry Steinbach, Carney Lansford yesterday here on Ace Cast Live, they said, I asked, what was it like to play for him? The guy grinded every day. Yes, he did. Carney said that he'd be taking ground balls. And this is the great thing about this show. This is why I think this show is so unique, and you're not getting this anywhere else in baseball, is we're here on the field right now, and you can bring these players, you can have all these different people, and we never know exactly who we're going to get on. But Carney talked about every single day as he's taking ground balls, he said every game, we're talking 162 Tony Russo would come by. You ready to go? Yeah. You ready to go today? I mean, every I day mean, he, he was grinding. He these guys. was very intense and also extremely organized, which is one reason the A's brought him in here. So, uh, Hall of Famer. I mean, that speaks volumes right there, right? Yeah. He's and- also been someone that has 
when when I started here in 96, it was the first year that Tony wasn't here. He had gone to the Cardinals for that year. Art Howe came in and was the A's manager in 96. Had a lot of success here, of course, uh, with the A's postseasons in 2001 and 2. But Tony's one of those guys who's always been really supportive of me personally. He still lives and spends a lot of time in the Bay Area, listens to the games, and he's not afraid to come up to you and, and say, you know, I appreciate uh, what you're doing. And so when you hear that from someone like La Russa, uh, it's really a neat thing for someone like me. Well, you have a big responsibility. You're a voice of a team. I guess, yeah. Right? I mean, it's not – there's there's only 30 of you. Now that you put it that way. There's only 30 of you. Where is Cavill? I'll ask for a raise. Is he, near, <laughs> is he nearby? I mean, reality is there's only, there's only yeah. well, 30 of you guys. We're lucky to do what we do, right, Chris? Yeah, that's that pretty was, fortunate. That was like when when I got presented with the sideline gig with the Raiders. It was like, hey, there's only 32 of you. That's right. Yeah. Right. I mean, these jobs are, are very special. And and you're working with Brent Musburger. By the way, you think about somebody's career who could just be like, I'm the greatest, and I have it, the nicest man, and the stories that my, you you know I got to get you two together because you'd love having life because he just starts telling stories and you just sit there and listen I mean yeah it's amazing the career that he's had it was that way with Bill and we've been so fortunate we were going through the list on the air we were trying to kill some time after the Giants scored eight runs in the eighth inning <laughs> and just kind of reminisce about the broadcasters who worked for both the A's and the Giants it's yeah. a long list of some of the the iconic play-by-play people in Bay Area history. So just to sit down at a table and eavesdrop uh, on a conversation between Bill King and Lon Simmons, you know, you'd pay admission to be part of that, wouldn't you? By the way, uh, so Wednesday night, Bill King got brought up at dinner. So we're in Winnipeg. Yeah. Unfortunately, I was in Winnipeg and not here. I wish I would have been here. Getting ready to play football on an 80-yard field. Yeah. Oh, God, it was such a joke. Um, So we're at dinner, and... Two of the guys at dinner are two legends, Brent Musburger and the two-time Super Bowl champion, Jim Plunkett. Right. And Plunkett brought up Bill King, and then Musburger started talking about the greatness of Bill King. It was unbelievable. It's impossible to separate the history of the Raiders from Bill's history with them. He was there to chronicle almost every one of their big moments. I mean, people remember all the – and through NFL films. Yes. You go back to those Blanda days. Oh, he's the king of the world. And, and those kinds of things have been immortalized because of uh, NFL films and those great highlights. And he says to men, get your big butt off the field. He does. <laughs> Was that uh, – I, I had to ask Madden about that when I was doing my research for the book, and yeah. I interviewed Madden. And I said, what did it feel like when you heard – because he couldn't hear it live. He's, uh, you know, he's coaching the game, and you heard that Bill King said, get your big butt off the field. <laughs> what did he say? Great. He said that was just part of it. I mean, that's the way Bill was. So he had great respect for Bill like everybody else did. Where does that rank in your career? And I know we're, you know, that's the great thing about this show. We can just talk, you know. Yeah. We don't have to worry about commercials. We have to, and that's what I love about doing this show. We can just have fun. Um, where is that going to rank? I mean, you have an illustrious career. I mean, I don't know how much our fans really know about what you've done in football, what you've done in basketball. You know, you're one of the few guys that really could do all three because I don't think a lot of people can do all three. They try, but they're not good at it. You were good at it. Thanks, Chris. But where does that rank for you in your career, knowing your love for Bill, but also 
being able to interview literally some of the biggest names in American sports history to put your book together? Well, I always had this dream of writing a book. I never thought it would come to fruition. It was so daunting to me to think, you know, writing a book, you've got you've to stick with it and be pretty disciplined to, to work on it almost every day to put out a book that was about 267 pages. But um, I said this before, I was energized to write because of the interviews that I did. Every time I got off the phone with someone like Rick Barry or Madden or name some of the people that, that you talked legends. about. Legends. Legends. It became a little bit of a Bay Area. I kind of wanted to weave the history of the Bay Area into the narrative of the book because Bill's history was tied into all that when you consider even back when he was doing Cal football and the Giants in 1959 did four years as the third man, as you know, and the, yeah. the Giants team and all the years with the Raiders and the Warriors and the 75 championship and, of course, the A's beginning in 81, so um, it was thrilling to do. So doing the interviews gave me a lot of momentum as far as writing the book because I was so energized when I got off the phone. Alvin Adels, incredible stuff. You know, Tom Mischer, you go on and on. Tom Flores, who I know you know very yeah. well. So um, the people from the A's, Sandy and Roy Eisenhardt, Giambi talking about hanging out with Bill in the clubhouse before games at the Coliseum and, you know, Bill hanging out around the spread so he could get enough food to – get the energy for the game going so those were that was really a cool time yeah I had no until I read your book I had no idea that he was actually the third man lawn would go do 49er games and then right. Bill would step in and do Giants right. I didn't know that until I read your book had some big calls down the stretch when the Giants eventually went to the World Series in 62 had a famous Ed Bailey home run down the right field line at Candlestick yeah, you're right. We, we've been blessed with a lot of great broadcasters here in the Bay Area, and uh, you're one of them. You're a Hall of Famer. Yeah, well, they must have run out of people to nominate. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, man. Well, my it's friend. It's great to spend time with you. Well, that's – Yeah, uh, you guys are doing a great job with the show, the commander, everybody else, so. Well, you know what? We finally have the right voice. Yeah. I think, that, I think the best way to put it is – and it's why I'm so passionate to get this on everybody's phone and – you know, I don't have to tell people listening right now to come see me in the treehouse and I'll put it on your phone. But if you have friends that are struggling to put it on, uh, to get it on their phone, bring your phone to me Just in the treehouse. Just find Tony. Just find me and I'll find do it. Find you in the treehouse. But we're finally getting our due, and I think that's the great thing. And, and, and Bob, you know, Bob means so much to you and me and how, how great he has been. And the team's back in what we're trying to do. Yeah. You know, it's one thing if I, you know, if, we were covering the Orioles right now, and I'm telling you to download this on your phone. You'd be like, yeah, thanks a lot. But the fact that they are so good, the team, the team's really – the team's helping us out. It's been a nice coming together of the team playing well with these young players especially and the launch of uh, everything you guys are doing with Ace Cast. So um, it's, been a, it's been a really good – you know, I'm thrilled for you and what you've done because uh, I don't think anybody works any harder than you do. I'm trying. You know, I don't know when the guy ever sleeps. So, <laughs> well, actually, know, I, think I, I think I left here last night. I should have just slept here. Shouldn't have left. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> All right, man. Thanks. Have a good call. Thanks, the great Tony. Ken Korak, the Hall of Fame, the voice of your Oakland Athletics. And hopefully we're going to start getting some guys on from the 1989 World Championship Oakland Athletics. Hopefully that's coming up next right here on A's Cast Live. This is A's Cast Live, your comprehensive look at the Oakland Athletics. Austin left field deep. Bam going back. Looking up. He will watch it fly. And 
29 other MLB clubs. 2-2 pitch on Trout, and he blasts one. Way back! Go! Cody Bellinger hits one out. He does! He's your home run derby champion. Join us as we take you inside the baseball universe. From spin rate to juiced balls to game-changing moments, we have you covered. Spend your afternoon with us next from the town, only on A's Cast Live. A's Cast Live. Here's Chris Townsend. Oh, what I think, what an honor this is for the Haas family and being a part of this. How are you? Hey, Chris. Nice to be here. So, for your family, what does this mean to come back and celebrate this team as your family brought a world championship to to Oakland? It's pretty special. And... um, Mixed feelings. On one hand, it's so great to be with everyone and just sort of is it also reminds us that three of our very special players on this team and people yeah. were no longer with us. But it is it, it was such a special time in our lives and in the in the ownership of, of the Oakland A's to see this team that was truly after 88. I, I, I would put this team up with anybody. Oh, there's no question. I mean, the talent I, is unbelievable. And it would just beyond that, just a overall a really good bunch of guys and frankly at the time probably rock stars in many ways and uh, you know I, I think about I think back to it and, and I think gosh we broke the A's attendance record and I think the following year after 89 we actually broke the American League attendance record eclipsing the Yankees so it was just a very special time in our lives and I felt very fortunate to be a part of it. You know, I get calls all the time about your family. The Haas family, everything they did. I mean, it it was such a special time where, as you mentioned, they were rock stars. They were the biggest team in baseball. And I've been talking today about Jose Canseco. I mean, Jose Canseco was a superstar. Yes, he was. Right? Like like the way we view football players now, that's how Jose was. And, And just to think that. You guys were a part of that, and your dad's going into the Hall of Fame this year. Just just what is that going to mean for your family? Well, it means a lot, and uh, I, we're very grateful that, the, that this ownership group and this management is bringing back some of the greatness of the Oakland A's that, were, that, was, that was here. And for me personally, uh, I know my dad would be really touched and honored if, yeah. if he could be here, and so we're very grateful for it. And I think... Honestly, I'm not obviously not objective, but I, I don't think anyone would argue that it wasn't deserved for, for him. I think, for, in my opinion, frankly, he was the gold standard for what a community would hope for and an owner. He cared the most about winning, and to the point, some would say critically, we had the highest payroll in baseball in 1990. And that's not something to be proud of, but he wanted so badly to keep this team together to have the best chance to win because he wanted then for the community to feel like it was their team. And so I think he checked an awful lot of boxes. Think about how crazy that is for young A's fans to think about having the highest payroll in baseball to where I remember, you know, we got to that point to where all of a sudden you had like, Will Clark got three million. Kirby Puckett got three million. Well, now Jose Canseco's getting four million. Ricky's getting four million. These were A's players who were the highest paid yeah. guys in baseball. Well, no, and that, I, I, you know, it's. I had a great owner. I had a great partner in in in, in boss. And that it's it sort of carries over from Levi Strauss, where there was a tagline that quality never goes out of style, and that's the way he felt we should build this franchise to have the very best, you know 
front office and farm system. When we when we bought the team from Mr. Finley, I mean, we didn't even have the minimum number of minor league teams. We didn't have any coaches or scouts except at the major league level. And to go from there to have three rookies of the year, it's a credit to Sandy. It's a credit to my brother-in-law, Roy Eisenhart, who helped develop this organization. And then with Sandy, who's this lawyer, and he comes in and becomes really the, the poster child for the next stage of baseball and analytics. It, it, it was a very special time, and I felt very fortunate to be a part of it. What were the negotiations like with, with, uh, with, with Finley? Uh, they were pretty amazingly. <laughs> well, so one of my jobs the last week before we were supposed to close was literally to babysit Mr. Finley in Chicago because his – sort of experience was if he had a deal he would then try to shop it for a better one and so I literally tried to babysit this 70 something gentleman who had a quadruple bypass and he was crushing me every night on Rush Street he, he and, and right to the end we didn't know if, we, if this was going to happen but it did and uh, I think frankly his, his wife who wanted not a half a baseball team but wanted the proceeds from it was probably the real reason it finally happened. I mean, it, it, it really, I mean, he's got to get his due. I yes, mean, he does. Uh, he ran a baseball team in California from Chicago and was in the playoffs from 71 to 75, won three straight World Series. It, it really, the story hasn't been told enough about just how crazy Right. The whole scenario is, and will never happen again. Right. No, there's um, there's so many stories behind it. You know, that, that during that those incredible World Series teams, they said, well, no, they didn't even sell out the Coliseum. What people didn't know is there was a stack of orders for tickets, wanting tickets for the World Series, but he didn't hire anyone to actually service those orders. <laughs> so it was a little different than what you would do. <laughs> we inherited four front office employees. To a per four. Four. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, anyway, so the bar was low on that side for us to, to build something. And uh, again, we, we it, it, it worked out pretty well. How happy are you that the A's are finally really going into their past, not just when you guys own the ball club, but even into the 70s and really appreciating and celebrating the greatness of this franchise? Well, of course, I. I think it's fantastic, and as you said, Chris, there is some great history here in Oakland that, frankly, before this management and ownership team didn't really want to celebrate, and I think they wanted some distance from our family for whatever reason, and so I'm thrilled that fans today are getting to see and and, and learn again from a very rich past, and of course, it was a great time in the late 80s and early 90s during our period, and... um, so it's, it's special to be back today. How tough was it to give up the team? Well, it was a, it was a time of, of loss for me. My father was, was dying of cancer. And um, so both trying to sell a team at a t- that time and losing my dad was a very tough time for our family. It was the, we understood why it needed to be. And to credit him again, it was right after the World Series had been canceled, not exactly the zenith of interest in baseball. Um, and yet he insisted that we keep the team in Oakland, therefore take a lesser amount of money because he felt that this is so important to the community as a community asset. And so I'm thrilled to see current ownership trying to, to build a new stadium and going, threading the needle, if you will, to try to get that done so it can happen. I'm so glad you said that because, like I said, our fan base 
just loves your family and what it did for the A's and the fact that you're looking at what current ownership and, and really what Dave Cavill is doing right. to, to solidify the A's finally in Oakland forever. We don't have to talk about the conversation of going somewhere else and, and, and building a ballpark that's not going to be on the taxpayers. Exactly. No, it's a credit to, to, to ownership and to management. I'm very supportive of it. It, it to, to me, it carries on, the, frankly, the legacy of what my father was trying to do because otherwise I think it would be one of those things where people wouldn't know what they're missing until it's gone, particularly when you lose both of the other professional franchises. It would just be a, a it would be really unfortunate. Yeah, I, I, I still believe there's a lot of people that haven't come to the realization that the Warriors are gone and the Raiders are leaving and this is it. Yep, yeah. And I always – through all of the, the Raiders' machinations, I always thought, you know, okay, there's eight. And I know I love and understand the Raider nation and their love of, of the Raiders. But how many games is that a year versus 81? And, and, the, and the amount of tax revenue and the amount of people that are, high, you know, work because of baseball, let alone just the enjoyment that baseball can provide people. Are you going to give the speech in September? I am. I'm going to try to, yeah. What do you think that's going to be like? It's going to be short. I can tell you that. Uh, no, it's going to be emotional, and um, it just, you know, it will remind me of, a, of somebody that I care deeply about. And a, a very special time. It really was. You know, you win a world championship. That's what it's all about. Enjoy today. Thank you, Chris. Your family deserves it. We truly appreciate it. Appreciate it. Have a be great not. time. Thank you. As we are honoring the 1989 World Series Championship Oakland Athletics, and I can even tell you right now in my – in my notes that I get from the MLB Network, they're even talking about it today as we're celebrating 1989 and we're celebrating, obviously, arguably the greatest player to have ever lived, Oakland's own Ricky Henderson. Ricky, hey, it is great to have you back on the program. Oh, thank you very much. You know, I didn't think I left, but I'm glad I'm back. <laughs> Well, you've never left. You've always been an A. You'll be an A. The field's named after you, right? There you go. There you go. The field is uh... – Name after me, and it's a, it's a great feeling. And, and uh, you know, I'm so blessed behind that because, you know, I would have never expected something like this would ever happen to to me or maybe to a ball player because I never have saw it happen that, you know, they name a field out of a player. Yeah, I remember talking to you and Dave Stewart at the same time about how you guys used to sneak into this yard as little kids, and now you're having a day like this. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, it, it was great, though. You know, like you said, when we was a kid, we didn't really have the money or something like that for us to buy a ticket. And then they had, like, a wire fence in center field. And we got a lot of the kids together, and we and we, we had a plan that, you know, we can get in the ball game. We, we bend the fence back, but, you know, you got to get in and run. You, if you get caught, that's, that's up on you. So I, I think that's where I developed some of my speed. <laughs> <laughs> and... and, and and, and I've been talking about this today, and it's great, you know, knowing what an A's fan you are is we're now celebrating all the great teams, not only your team, and we'll talk about your team being one of the greatest teams of all time, uh -huh. 1989, but the way we've celebrated the 70s teams, and you watched those teams as a kid. Yeah, yeah, them some great teams. It was, it was a fun to come out to see them team. I think they gave us the momentum. Okay, the, the, you know, the kids that were around, uh, idea on if they want to play sport to come and see them play and, and, and see how fun, much fun they was having. So it gave me a, a chance to go out and, and figure out that I can play baseball too. What, what was it like for you? You're in New York. You come back to Oakland. 
and you come back to Oakland to bring a world championship to your hometown? Oh, it, was a, it, it really was a, a blessing for me. It was a change. I think I had been in New York four, four years or so like that. And my last year on my contract, you know, I thought I was going to get a, a, a redid my contract. And, you know, I was pushing to get a new contract. And it was taking a while. And I think when I was going out on the field, I was trying to uh, do too much. And I wasn't doing, doing anything. So, you know, I really wasn't that happy. And I think I got new life when the A's decided to trade from me. And I got new life and, and came over to a great team that, you know, was well uh, balance and, and they was looking for a spark plug and I think I gave them that spark plug. Well, you think about great teams of all time. You played against them. You've won championships with multiple teams. But just talk about the greatness of the 1989 team, which I think is truly one of the greatest teams to ever lace them up. I, th- I think, you know, that team was uh, really special. And, you know, you know, we played outstanding on the field. We played together. But the, the, the biggest part about that, I think we had built a, a family relationship with each and one another. We seems that we uh, help one another for us on the field and often feels that, you know, we got the opportunity to, when we go on the road trip, we always had a team uh, dinner or a team going out on the town and, and having the fun. But we always seems that we was together with one another, and that's what made that team so special. You guys were rock stars. Yeah. I mean, when, when you think about it, Ricky, I mean, you guys were rock stars. You were the you were the biggest thing in sports. Yeah, we were just talking. So everywhere we went, you know, we had everybody, you know, talking about the A's. So if you say we were a rock star, we was, you know, that special team that, you know, we brought attention to the fans all over the baseball. So it was fun that just, you know, when we go into a different town, the fans was pulling for us and and, and some of the fans was, you know, not pulling for us. But when we went out there and played the game right the right way, they seemed to get on the bandwagon with us. When you got here, it had to be like there's nobody's going to beat us, right? Did you guys have that mentality, nobody's going to beat us? I think when I got here, they, they felt uh, – uh, they had the team that, you know, they can go out and pretty much compete and nobody would beat it. Then when I came over there and, and, and gave them that spark plug or I was that guy that can get on base and create stuff, then we felt that, you know, it's no way can anybody beat us. But we went through the same situation when we was in uh, Cincinnati and we got beat. But, you know, we had a little di- uh, hiccup or something like that. I think Hosey got so mad, uh, him and Tony went on the same page and, and we couldn't even uh, – uh, put that piece back in the puzzle. So I think that's what destroyed us in, in, in that series. What was it like playing for Tony LaRusso? Oh, it was great. You know, he, you know, he was a, a big-time strategy-type uh, manager. Uh, he knew the game, and, uh, you know, he knew his player. You know, his players around and what they can do and, and what they can't do. And, and, and each and every day, to me, it was always funny that, you know, I used to come to the ballpark, and, uh, and I see Tony, and, and here goes uh, – uh, let me look into your eyes. And he's looking in the eye, and then he goes, oh, you're going to have a good day today. We all right. We're going to win this ball game today. I said, how can you tell we're going to win the ball game? He said, where your eye looking at me? <laughs> so he was always coming and, and seeing how, how we feel, what was going on with us, and he always seemed like gave us that little boost. Carney Lansford on the show yesterday said, mm-hmm. every single day taking ground balls, Tony, Tony would come up to him and go, you ready today? Yeah. Every, he said every day. He, so <laughs> it, it, he, which I think is, you know, we're in a people business, right? I uh-huh. mean, you got to manage the people. Yes. It seemed that Tony really went out of his way to reach out to you guys every day. Yes, to see how we was feeling and, and, and really what was going on 
that day. Uh, you know, like you said, you know, you're getting your work in and, and, and how you feel, you know, and he always had the positive attitude of what we was going to do. Uh, you know, you're going to have a great day. He always gave us that little extra boost. Now, you're still with the Oakland Athletics, and, and I know we all appreciate it. What is it like for you now to take your expertise in this game and pass it down to the younger generation? Oh, you know, it's great. That, you know, that's, the, that's the, the beauty about it. I think when I was coming through the league and uh, the veteran guys like that, I used to always go up and talk to me, and they gave me the knowledge for us to go on out to making me the players I was. So I just like to go in and share my knowledge of, of, of what players is going through and if I can help them in a way and then I'm, I, I got the time to help them and I always tell each and every player I'm around so don't be afraid to come and talk to me because I'm a really uh, a talkable person and, and if you need something I can help you I'll be willing to help you. You think we'll get back to a time where we start seeing more stolen bases again and we start seeing more productivity on the bags? I hope so you know I, I hope so I think the game have got away from uh, uh, the fundamental of the game or how to win a ball game. You know, we used to do a lot more bunting the guys over, hit and run, a lot of time to squeeze. I think they got away from that, that type of uh, baseball. And I'm hoping that it's come back, that how to create uh, to win a ball game. Right now I think we're trying to beat the shift. And, and, and sometime in my mind I'm, I'm wondering if they playing the game to win or they just playing the game to see what they can get out of the game, see can they beat the shift and stuff like that. I think if you played today, mm -hmm. leading off hitting 40 home runs a year, uh -huh. launch angle. <laughs> <laughs> you know me, I'm so uh, hard. I'm so hard on the launch angle because I don't think every every player should be working on a launch angle because they're not that. Some players are not the type of a player that you know, like a home run hitter, and we all get in the launch angle. You know, you see a lot more home run now. Maybe I don't know. What the reason the pitcher said the ball is, is a lot harder than it used to be, but uh, to for me to go to the minor league system and try to teach the kids about a launching and they don't even know how to hit a baseball, I think that's sort of like putting a lot more pressure on the young kids that they learn them uh, the way we was taught for is just, just to hit the line drive, you know, not worry about the home run or lifting or something like that, be able to make good contact. You know, I think about you as a man of the community, as I've seen you for years at Raider games, and you're around, whether it's A's games, Raiders games. I mean, Oakland, you, you're such a big part of what this is, and, and this celebration today, 1989. Uh, the field's named after you for a reason. Uh, I can say it's probably named out for a reason because, you know, <clears throat> I always got into the, uh, the fans and I got into the community because, you know, I think, What's so special about as great a ball player we is, but uh, I don't think we can play the game, enjoy the game, if we didn't have the fans behind us. It's pulling for us, pushing for and loving us at the same time. Well, it's always an honor to have you on the program, one of the greatest players to have ever lived the Hall of Famer. Go enjoy your, 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 your teammates because we're celebrating truly one of the greatest teams of all time. We always appreciate your time. Thanks for having me. The great Ricky Henderson right here on A's Cast Live. Hi, this is Eduardo Perez from ESPN and MLB Network Radio on Sirius XM. And when I'm in the Bay Area, I make sure I listen to Ace Cast Live. Well, Wally Haas said it. We had this guy who was a lawyer, and he turned out to be the perfect man for the job to help build one of the greatest teams ever assembled. Sandy Alderson is with us here on Ace Cast Live. And Sandy... 
Uh, not a bad little office we have to celebrate your uh, championship team in 1989. No, this is uh, this has been great seeing uh, all the uh, former players and Wally and some of the staff. Tony Larusa is here. Uh, yesterday was incredible with that crowd here. Fortunately, the result on the field wasn't great, but uh, we had a good time and really happy to be back. Before we talk about 1989, what does it mean to you to be back with the Oakland Athletics? Well, it's full circle. I, uh, of course, started here uh, almost 40 years ago, and um, when Billy uh, called and offered me the opportunity to come back, I, uh, given everything else that I've done and, uh, um, you know, the opportunity to, to come back with this organization that I very highly respect um, in its current iteration, um, you know, it was, it was an easy decision. So I've really been pleased. I've enjoyed the year and uh, working with um, – uh, you know, Billy and David and Bob Melvin and the rest of the crew, crew it's, uh, it's been a lot of fun. Did you realize back in the day when you were passing the baton to this guy who was an outfielder, he was a really good athlete, he was pretty bright, couldn't make it in the big leagues, that all of a sudden years later Brad Pitt's playing him in a movie, there'd be a book <laughs> about it. Did you have any idea – how this would play out for Billy Bean when you pass that baton on to him? No, I don't think anybody did, but uh, but I had confidence in his ability. Uh, Billy's a smart guy. He's uh, curious. Um, and uh, so from that standpoint, I'm passionate about the game. So from that standpoint, I knew there were good things ahead, but uh, obviously didn't know the uh, contours of that uh, future, but it was uh, – it, you know, it's been a great run for him, and uh, um, it's interesting that, uh, you know, since I started in 1981 to this point, really only been three people uh, responsible for baseball uh, here, myself, Billy, and Dave Force. So um, there's a lot of continuity here as well. Yeah, and, and throwing Charlie Finley running the team from Chicago. Yeah, right. <laughs> Through MC Hammer, <laughs> yeah, his top I mean, lieutenant. You can't make this stuff up about the A's, right? It's crazy. You cannot make it up. So I think a lot of our young fans listening, they don't under, you know, they're used to, let's call it Moneyball. They're used to what the A's are today. But back when you were running the team, we're talking about the highest payroll in baseball. The expectations to win the World Series every single year. Every deal you were making was to win the World Series. What was that like, late 80s, early 90s, running the athletics? Well, first of all, when, uh, you know, the run-up to the World Series years, there were, <clears throat> you know, we, we had some success in 1981, but uh, between 81 and 87, I think in 87 we broke, you know, we were, we were a 500 team. There was a lot of... Uh, development that took place um there was a learning curve for me and a few other people with the organization there was a development of the farm system um and we got to uh you know ultimately got to the world series in 88 with that disappointment um did a little better in 89 got back to the world series in 90 and i think what happened was that uh you know the ownership really wanted to keep the team together there was more than it was more than just dollars and cents our highest payroll I, I think we were uh, the highest in baseball at one point but it was like 45 million dollars so you know there wasn't that much of a gap between us and everybody else but but you know the Hazes wanted to keep the team together and uh, so that's what got us to that point um, but there was an expectation we were very disappointed in 91 Disappointed again in 92 that we didn't get to the World Series. There was a period of, you know, five, six years where uh, we did have very high expectations. But 
I didn't feel any great pressure. We were just, uh, you know, perking along and uh, doing the best we could at the time, and uh, things worked out. We had, you know, an outstanding manager and field staff. We had good players, and uh, we had great support by the fans, too. You know, I think about the hammock bone. Like, none of us really knew what the hammock bone was until Jose Canseco broke yeah. it. And then I think about trading for Ricky Henderson. When Ricky shows up, Jose's back. What was 89 like as you're heading to the postseason? Well, I don't, re I don't recall there was any great conflict, but we definitely, you know, had a, a rock star 25-man uh, roster. That, that's what made it fun. Not only were we winning, but we had a lot of personalities, bigger-than-life personalities. Uh, some would say notorious, you know, in other, in other cities because uh, nobody really liked us that much. But, um, you know, when you had a team of uh, Stewart, uh, both Hendersons, Dave Henderson was, was a terrific player and a terrific person. Uh, Dave Parker, you know, Conseco, McGuire, Eckersley, um, and even some of the lesser um, players, lesser role players, like Gene Nelson's here today uh, with the, I mean, he looks like he's right out of a uh, um, Southern rock band today. <laughs> but, but, uh, Anyway, it was uh, it was uh, it was a great group, and of course we had the disappointment in '88, so there was always concern about uh, where we would end up. But uh, uh, notwithstanding the earthquake, from a baseball standpoint, the season ended on a high note. Yeah, and, and and one of the things I think people don't think about enough is yeah, like Eckersley now is a baseball Hall of Famer. Dave Stewart, there's going to be the big announcement today, and of course he went into Hall of Fame. But these were guys that weren't stars then. It's like you brought in players, and Tony La Russa and Dave Duncan turned some of these guys into the great players that they became. The and, and that's now like the revolution in baseball is player development. Well, you were doing that. You were bringing in players who needed a change of scenery, and your guys helped made them better and made them what they are today. Well, one of the reasons we got Tony in the first place is because we had a great farm system at the time. We were developing players that ultimately became, what, three rookies of the year in a row. Um, but then on top of that, we did bring in players that, um, you know, had been overlooked or released um, by other teams and turned them around. I mean, Eckersley is a perfect example. Dave Stewart, as you mentioned, is a perfect example. Um, but we brought in some other, you know, unheralded players that uh, Storm Davis um, ended up, you know, winning almost 20 games for us. So there were a lot of those guys. Uh, uh, Tony Phillips, um, just a number of them that uh, really benefited from being associated with our staff and the organization. Yeah, it's heavy hearts when you bring in, when you start talking about Dave Henderson and Tony Phillips and, and Bob Welch. It's sad that they're not here to yeah. be a part about, to be a part of this, but obviously they were a huge part in this championship. Oh, they were uh, terrific players. You know, my, my history with with Phillips went back to 1981. I first got here, 81, 82, uh, when, when uh, Billy Martin was still the manager and sent him out uh, one day for not showing up to practice on time. And uh, so I, I developed a relationship with Tony, you know, as early as 81, 82. Uh, Bob Welch was the subject of a big trade that we made um, prior to the 88 season, I think. And uh, 
he was a terrific guy and, and a real personality too that didn't always show up on the it didn't show on the field but he was a terrific you know personality in the clubhouse and then Dave Dave Henderson I think may have been the heart of the team I mean he was the guy that amongst all these big personalities uh, kept things real he had a personality of his own but he kept it uh, in perspective and usually uh, in the clubhouse, but he was he was a terrific guy, and I think one of the keys to the to the success we had. Hey, thank you for stopping by. I, obviously, it's a big moment for you and your team. Go enjoy this with these guys, and a, a very special moment as we're truly celebrating one of the great teams in baseball yeah, history. Thanks very much, and let's let's win one today. Huh? Yeah, the okay. great Sandy right, Ellerson join us right here on A's Cast Live. Now back to A's Cast Live, broadcasting from the town. Here's Chris Townsend. Well, he's one of my favorites all time, a Bay Area guy and a Hall of Famer, truly one of the great pitchers of all time. Dennis Eckersley is here to celebrate 1989, and what a year it was for you and your teammates. This is going to be a special moment today. It is, it is. I mean, I think the older you get, and you know, you get away from the game for a long time, not playing, and, and to look back. And, and, you know, I played a long time, and that only one world championship, one out of 24 years so it's meaningful to me to say the least and because of the bay area yeah you brought a championship home yeah you know looking back at that you know that year i mean we were so hungry to win that championship after the uh dodger series the year before with the kurt gibson thing for me personally yeah. i mean i was grinding luckily i only had to grind for one year and it all ended well you know what i'm saying look not so much you know obviously the earthquake was devastating but they continued that World Series, and we did win it. And for me personally, you know, getting the last out, the last out at first base, I had the ball and the glove. I mean, it does not get any better than that. Right? Well, and also because you grew up going to games at yes. Candlestick Park. Yes, back in the olden days when it was freezing there. Not that it wasn't then, maybe. But uh, that's my memory. I was a Giant fan, you know, Juan Marichal. That's why I had the big leg kick, Willie Mays. And then to have the one world championship where I, you know, I'm in candlestick. I got the ball, last ball in my hand. I mean, it meant, it meant the world to me. I can tell you, you were so loved by this fan base to this day. I mean, we think about this 89 team. You guys were rock stars. <laughs> you were guys, you know, how, how we see the NFL. Yeah. I mean, you're working in Boston now, the Patriots. Yeah. You guys were like an NFL team. You guys were rock stars back then. I guess, you know, you get looking back on it, you know, because we had the, the Bash brothers, right? We yeah. were like, and we come to town, and Ricky could style, you know. He'd, we had a lot of, you know, we had a lot of swag, right? And uh, I was a part of it. I think when you're in the middle of it, you don't think of it like that. But, when I, but at the same time, we took a lot of pride in being, you know, playing for the A's and coming to town. You know, here we come, and we're going to kick your ass, you know. And that's, uh, you know, looking back at it, I, mean, I, I just fond memories. No doubt about it. And, and, and you talk about the disappointment of 88 just made you got you were not losing in 89 right. it didn't matter who they put in front of you yeah. you weren't losing it's easy to say now that we did win it but it all came together it just did in 89 that it didn't in in 88 and there's a lot of different reasons for it who knows but you know uh, the greatest teams in the world just if they don't get it together in the playoffs they're long forgotten right if you don't win the whole thing it's all got forgotten and uh thank goodness it all came together because we swung the bat is what we did. And Ricky was the man. I think he was the difference maker in 89 because we got him in June, I believe. And he just put us over the top. You know, he gave us, we, we had the power, you know, but we didn't have that. 
those are the games you could win two to one, one to nothing, because just Ricky, a Ricky <laughs> run would win the game. And then we had starting pitching that you never see anymore. That's, that's history, right? Nobody pitches like that. 20-game winner, two 19-game winners. I mean, starting pitchers that got wins. That doesn't happen anymore. And then the creation of really what Tony La Russa is all about. You know, the game's like this because Tony La Russa did this whole thing. I mean, he was an innovator with this bullpen. You know, piecing the last game together. Now they're piecing the whole game together. Well, you know? I know, I know. And, and I talk about because I was in high school when you guys were doing this. So it's like yeah. you guys are that team. You gravitate to greatness, and you guys were that team. And I think of what Dave Duncan and Tony La Russa did for your career helped you pave the way to go to Cooperstown. Yeah. I mean, I was put together. The stars lined up for me, man. I was done. I came from the Cubs. I was a lamb. I was sizzled. You know, I was about done. And I, they, I found my way to the bullpen with those guys that knew what they were doing, and it gave me, it gave me life, and it gave me, you know, the, the time I spent with Oakland. Turned my whole career around. I mean, a lot of people involved with that. So I was blessed, man. It was it was supposed to happen, and here I'm supposed to be here right now. Yeah, no, yeah. I, and I know you got to leave, and it's always great to have you on. Hopefully, we can do something down the line a little bit longer. But just truly, as somebody that, as you said, blessed, and to do it in your hometown, family today, what does it all mean for you just to be back today here, back home, and back with your guys? You know, something. It's just happening now. I mean, I have a hard time with with the moment. The older you get. You realize how precious the moments are, and this is a moment, right? This is a moment. It's not. I could be cool. I could be. I should be not Mr. Cool, man. Everything's cool. Meanwhile, hey, you gotta, you gotta feel it, you know, because these are precious moments. Moments, and this is my, my lifetime in the Bay Area. This, I'm a, I'm a Bay Area kid, you know, that hauled ass, and I've been gone like 40 years, <laughs> and it means more to me now than it probably did then. Well, you know what? Yeah. It's always a, a pleasure. Continued success with the broadcasting. Go enjoy your guys, and you we'll talk to you soon. Right. Enjoyed it. Thank you, man. The great Hall of Famer, one of the greatest pitchers to have ever lived, Dennis Eckersley here on A's Cast Live. How about that? Does it get any better than that, Commander? Does it get any better than what we've done today? Uh, we're up to nine Hall of Famers now. Nine Hall of Famers we've had on A's Cast Live. Wow, this has been a very special show. And we've uh, we've had, and you heard, we heard Sandy mention it. We've had uh, there's only been three GMs since the '80s, and it was him, Billy, and Forrest. Well, we got to get Billy on, and then we've had all three of the GMs that have been on the last that we've had in the last 30 plus years here in Oakland. And Charlie Finley running the team from yeah, Chicago. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, just it, it's unreal. And I'm glad I, you know, I'm I'm really glad you know because we made this decision to to broadcast on the weekends because normally A's cast live. We don't broadcast on the weekends, but when you're going to have a celebration like this and you're going to celebrate your past, and rightfully so, one of the great teams in the history of the game. I mean, legitly. So you got Eck, you got Ricky in the Hall of Fame. Jose and McGuire should be in the Hall of Fame. I mean, it's a joke they're not. I mean, that's four guys that they should have in the Hall of Fame. And then you could really look at Dave Stewart and put – and there's going to be a special announcement today. I'm not going to – I'm just going to stay tuned. I believe we're going to go to the ceremony on A's cast at 1220. So stay tuned here on A's cast, and you're going to hear the whole ceremony where they're going to introduce all the players, and we're going to – and we'll, on 860 a.m. here in the Bay Area and 1140 a.m. out of Sacramento, you'll hear – A's total access, but if you want to hear the actual ceremony of the 1989 team, 
Tune in here to Ace Cast at 1220, and you'll be able to hear the whole thing. Pretty, pretty special stuff. It is, and I'm hoping that uh, we talked about this last night. We're, we're efforting to get uh, Big Mac, Mark McGuire, on the show this week. We're so, hoping for Tuesday yeah, we're, is we're, what I'm being told. As we say in the business, we're efforting. We're efforting. We're efforting There's no question about that. Uh, we're going to have to effort to get. I want a long, long form with Eck. When I, when, I, I walked, when I walked up to Eck, I said, Eck, uh, I know it's getting kind of close to the end, but you know, we could do something on the phone. He goes, I don't like that. It's too, t- too tough. It's too hard. <laughs> is that what he That's said? That's what he said. Well, last time he was here, I mean, I, I, it was great. I did like a 15-minute interview with him. Plus, I gave you the PC version of what he said. He actually said something else, but we're a family-friendly show, so i got to keep it PC. He's Dennis <laughs> Eckersley, and he can say whatever the heck he wants. What time are we out of here? Well, we can we can go now. We have a couple minutes, and I'll give you time to go to the tree. You want to do a little buying or selling? Uh, uh, yeah, we got about two minutes. Let's do it. All right, let's do it. It's time for Buying or Selling. Sell, sell. Right now with Chris Townsend on A's Cast Live. Now, you and I talked about this a little bit yesterday, and this news story took over the sports world last By the way, did you hear Eck talk about wins? Um, yes. Okay, just, just checking. He was a closer. He, his saves are what mattered for him. He won over 100 games yeah. as a starter. So did John Smoltz. They're both, they're both Hall of Famers. Just, just, just. So Andrew Luck uh, retired last night. What? Yeah, I know. That happened? It happened while we were here. That was real? Yeah, remember people were checking, like, Schefter's account eight times to make sure he really retired. I watched the speech. I could kind of see why. The injury, the pain, the rehab. He kept saying he was done and over and over. He couldn't keep doing it. So we, we thought of um, injury or players retiring early. We saw this with Sandy Koufax. Yeah. And I've heard you mention this on the broadcast yesterday. He retired at the age of 30, Luck's 29. The XFL starts in 2020. Who's the commissioner of the XFL? Oliver Luck, Andrew's dad. The former Houston Oiler. Buying or selling, Andrew Luck will never play football <laughs> again. Buying or selling, he'll be in the XFL? Buying or selling. Well, Vince McMahon, Lord, the first guy they ever signed, Landry Jones, but Andrew Luck. This is the XFL. Remember that? Uh, I'm buying, he's done. And the reason why I'm buying is I covered him at Stanford. Really bright guy. He's got his money. Uh, remember, he has that crazy. I can't remember what the exact degree is. It's a, it's a, um, it's engineering arc- degree. Yeah, but it's got some crazy name to yeah. it. He's of a, real, he's a really bright guy. Uh, you know what? I can tell you this: Andrew Luck's not going to be one of these guys that can't get up out of his chair. I, I've had dinner recently with some former NFL players. They can barely walk. That's not going to be Andrew Luck. So I, I I believe he is done. We're done? Yeah. This is one of the greatest shows you've ever heard, and we're done? Yeah. Alex Jensen up next, A's All Night. The face? The face. The face of A's All Night, Alex Jensen. And then I will be back getting you ready for A's Baseball right here with A's Total Access. I'll be back in a few minutes. This has been a presentation of the Oakland Athletics.